Hello and welcome to the Attribution Marketing Podcast. Today's episode is episode number three, where we will be discussing customer-centric marketing and why putting the customer at the center of everything you do will be critical in your marketing success. My name is Lucas Sommer. I am the host of the Attribution Marketing Podcast, where we give marketers the information that they need to succeed with marketing, advertising, and optimizing for conversions. In today's episode, we will be covering why putting the customer at the center of all your marketing decisions is important for success in today's environment. It's not about you or your product or your service or your company. It's about them, your customer. Today's episode is brought to you by leadsrx.com, an impartial multi-touch attribution platform for agencies and enterprise marketers. Today's guest is AJ Brown, co-founder and CEO of LeadsRx, and we are happy to have you. AJ, how goes it today? Hey, Lucas, thanks very much. It's going great. Thank you. So today's topic is a little bit broad, and I want to just sort of start out with a definition. What does customer-centric marketing mean to you? You know, a lot of marketers look at a lot of different metrics. Everybody seems to have their favorite KPIs that they monitor and keep track of on a pretty regular basis. When it comes to digital marketing, for example, a lot of folks are using AdWords or Google Ads now or Facebook ads. And of course, they're looking at impressions that are served and clicks on those ads and conversions and so on. What keeping the customer at the center of everything you do means, in my mind, is just making sure that every one of those impressions goes to a human being. Every click was a mouse that somebody held. And every visit to your site in a conversion is that same person. So thinking through this like a supply chain and how the customer comes in contact with all of your marketing materials from point A to point B all the way through point Z, um, keeping that customer in mind is what customer-centric marketing is all about in my mind. I like the supply chain analogy and keeping them as kind of that critical piece moving down the line. So certain companies might be doing this better than others, but what might be an example of an ad experience or a brand um, that isn't putting the customer at the center? What's an example of that? Sometimes when you see these uh, really fast infomercials on TV, the buy it now, get 20% off click and save. Those kinds of strong calls to action, they're great at generating sales and they really work. Uh, you got to buy the right media, of course, and have the right uh, creative effort and so on. But the reality is I can't really say that's very customer focused. We're not really looking at the individual so much. Yeah, we're always buying media that that targets the audience or, or addresses the audience that we'd like to reach. But the reality is we just want more people clicking or coming to the website and, and purchasing that product. That's not a very customer-centric attitude. We don't really know the person. We haven't monitored their journey over the time. We don't really have any behavioral data collected about that individual uh, and how they're, how they're pursuing that brand. So that almost feels like a short-term transactional strategy as opposed to a longer term, you know, customer focused, customer centric strategy. What are some of those pitfalls 
if you get that wrong, if you end up being in that short term direct response transactional mentality where you're seeking clicks and impressions and even conversions and you forget the fact that those are actually customers and people there. What are the what are some of the negative impacts that come from a strategy like that? You know, we've seen a, a large backlash, I think. In fact, a lot of what you see with the new GDPR over in Europe, as well as the California Consumer Protection Privacy Act, all these two uh, regulations were actually seeded by the fact that customers didn't feel like they were at the center of everything you do. So things, for example, like retargeting ads, uh, a lot of people, I think, are freaked out by going to visit a website, maybe looking at a pair of shoes but not buying them, and then they see these ads constantly berating them around the internet for that same pair of shoes. And there's you know one set of people that will say, I didn't want the shoes, that's why I didn't buy them at that time, so why am I now seeing ads for it? And there's another set of people that often feel like this is just creepy, that somebody's tracking me to this extent. But the ads are just trying to get you back, that strong call to action again, right? Come back, you forgot this in your shopping cart, buy it now, oh, we decided to give you 10% off. That whole chain of events just tells me we, we aren't understanding that there's again a human here and that there's a journey that that customer is really on. If they didn't buy the product, they probably had a good reason for not buying it at that time. So taking that in consider, into consideration, I think will make a big difference and by not doing that, you're going to con- consistently produce advertising and, and marketing touch points that don't really grab the customer's attention and keep the customer-centric attitude. That's an interesting way to look at it. And it's something that I've certainly experienced with my behavior online and seeing all the ads that are shown to me. You can really get a sense of what companies are just trying to move you through that funnel as aggressively as possible, as quickly as possible, and kind of churn that relationship up. And I think you've made a good point. If you take a step back and look at those companies, they're typically the ones that might not have such strong brand equity or customer loyalty or some of the other KPIs that really build a organization and a brand that can can last a long time. And in preparation, I think you're exactly right. In fact, what happens, oh, sorry to interrupt you there, Lucas, but I think you're exactly right that what happens is you don't have customer loyalty. And so you're stuck in this mode now of always having to market to the customer like they're new, like you've never talked to them before. And that's very expensive. Um, you're constantly putting out marketing programs that try to drive to a conclusion rather than drive to a path. So let's go back to that supply chain analogy, you know, every step in a supply chain gets a part closer to being manufactured and not to get too esoteric about it, but really that's how we are as consumers. We're trying to progress a consumer along their journey to becoming a client of yours, a customer of yours. So if you do that in a trusted fashion with thoughtful advertising and messages without berating the customer, then I think you have a a bigger win and frankly, a lower cost acquisition. Yeah. Interesting. I think what you're getting at is the short term, the short term strategy might pay dividends, but is actually, you know, in the short term, but in the long term, it's more expensive because you're spending more and more on each acquisition. You're reacquiring the same person each time, so to speak, rather than building that long term relationship with the customer who's going to come back to you because of that journey you put them on of the brand messaging 
because they truly connect and, and feel uh, value when they engage with the brand. So I think that was uh, a good way to tie that together. When, when I was preparing for this podcast, I had one example that really came to mind. It's uh, a, a little bit analogous, but I'm hoping maybe you can stitch together a story here. Jeff Bezos is really famous for what he's done at Amazon for a variety of reasons. But one thing that stuck in my mind on an interview that I watched of his is that he never looked at what the competition was doing. He didn't change his strategy based on the products or services of what Walmart or the other people in the industry were doing. He wasn't competing with them. Instead, he really built the logistics, the site, the A-B testing, everything that's made Amazon what it is today based on iterating on the customer's needs. And that always stuck with me. And it, I hear some of that in your explanations today. Maybe you can try to bridge that gap for us about how Amazon applied that to almost company-wide and look what's happened to them. How can marketers take a piece of that and apply it to their campaigns to have similar success? Everything we do from a marketing standpoint is hopefully uh, touching the customer in a positive way and helping them build a relationship with your brand. I'm really big on this concept, the notion that, you know, a random person comes to your website or comes in contact with an advertisement of yours. For them to take action on that and go to the next step, they have to have some level of faith or trust that they're interested in your product or service. And as they move along their journey, they're looking for other proof points that this is the case. They're looking to reaffirm their hypothesis in a way that this is for them, whether that's your branding elements, such as, you know, the emotion and the, and the attitude about your brand, or if it's the actual product and service that you offer, is it relevant to that consumer? So I think the more agile a marketer can be in terms of kind of finely tuning that message and, and crafting um, a series of campaigns that really progress that customer along their, their journey, the better. If you take this in the context of just your company, you'll do a, a really great job at that. And that's what Amazon, I think, did. You don't have to always look at what the competition is doing and try to one-up them and do better and do, do things for less money and, and steal customers away. That's all wonderful, but that will come. If you just craft a message that's believable and trustworthy such that that consumer feels somewhat protected even by your brand. That's, that's a stretch, but the idea is if they really start to feel that level of uh, kind of empathy with your brand, they'll be your customer for a very long time. And what the competition's doing doesn't mean a hill of beans. Uh, that's what disruptive marketing is all about, is setting your own path and forging your own trail. But you have to do it with what the customer's actions are. If you just sit down and think that based on your years of experience and your gut instinct and your personal biases, that this is the way by God that customers are going to you know, buy my product, you'll likely be wrong in some portion of those cases. But instead, if you look at it analytically and say, here's, here's how the first 10 customers you know, progressed and found my company and, and decided to buy my product, let me change something to make that a little more efficient for the next 10. Okay, here's the next 10 and here's what they did. I can make that even more efficient. And if you sway a little bit, you may have to adjust that strategy a third time or a fourth time. And as you do these small iterations, kind of in flight, if you will, with your campaigns, you can very rapidly within several months come up with a very optimized path that not only helps shorten the time from prospect to customer, but reduces your spend budget, your marketing spend, and ultimately increases your lifetime value from those consumers because they come back for repeat purchases. 
So again, it's all about keeping the customer at the center of everything you do and remembering we are all humans. We're not bots and we're not random people. You have to understand who we are. Look at their customer journeys. Understand that they click on your ads multiple times. What does that mean? Why are they doing that? What's important to them in that advertisement? Why are they trusting that versus coming to you via another method, for example? Well, that's quite the breakdown. It actually sort of teased out two other pieces that I wanted to talk about uh, coming up anyway. And those are basically the notion of iterations um, and how iterative advertising, which you've already basically talked about, can really help lead you to that optimized path. And in your explanation, you kind of brought up a few KPIs, which is where I wanted this to go, which is what are these KPIs that people should really be paying attention to if they are to adopt this type of marketing strategy. Primarily on the surface level, advertisers, marketers, they look what's available right away and instant. And that's typically impressions, clicks, bounce rate, and ultimately conversions as well. But as you and I know, that initial conversion point uh, where most marketers stop is quite rarely the end of that customer's journey. And so I think you touched on it before, but how can we look at time to conversion and how many touches does it take to get to conversion, that ultimate conversion? Because I feel that many marketers overlook the optimization of the path itself and how to make it easy for people to get where they want to go. So talk us through some of those KPIs that really define this strategy and what marketers need to keep their eye on. I think time to conversion that you mentioned is pretty important, but let's not focus on that as the primary KPI. Because if you do, and if you constantly feel that the time to conversion should be shorter, which is what most people want, guess what happens? You end up back in that original pile of people we spoke about who don't put the customer at the center of everything they do. Because if you ultimately want to shorten the path to its to its lowest form, you're going to necessarily come up with ads that say, buy now, get 20% off, click here, do it today. So there's um, a, a continuum here, but there's also a threshold by which you pass by and you lose that, that customer-centric nature. So the KPI really is let the customer take as much time as they need and every customer is different. Don't try to force anything, just try to listen to it and optimize it. For example, if a consumer wants to take 30 days to decide to buy a particular car, let them take 30 days. You trying to rush that process to 15 days isn't gonna help. It's only gonna hurt and likely frustrate that consumer and send them away to a competitor. If they're in market for a car, they're gonna buy a car. The question is, are they gonna buy it from you? And again, if they feel trusted, safe, protected and secure and empathetic with your branding messages, chances are they're going to buy from you. Now, that doesn't mean you can't, you know, speed up the process slightly. For example, if they're looking for that finance calculator, but it's on, you know, four pages down and deep in your website, that could be an issue. So by looking at customer journey paths, we can see how often that calculator is really used. And if it's a prominent element of conversion paths, meaning a lot of people who buy cars use that calculator, then let's put it front and center on the homepage. Let's put it in places where the consumer can find it more quickly before giving up and leaving your site. The same thing applies for B2B customers. If you're selling B2B and you've got a set of content, blog articles and download PDF files and so on, 
Let's find out which ones are instrumental in conversions. Again, find which ones are in the path of conversion most commonly, and then make those readily accessible, uh, accessible to the consumers when they come to your site. And if they don't find them, email them. Once you, once you get that, that B2B buyer's email address at an early funnel step, you can then use that to send them the material you think they're likely going to need, predictively, to convert. The ultimate KPI every marketer probably wants to focus on, of course, is the sale. Did we win a customer? And then we back that up to all the marketing programs the consumer came in touch with along that path to that KPI, that, that one conversion point. But there are earlier funnel points as well, but there are always conversions. So look at, you know, the last conversion point is the ultimate one, a mid funnel point and maybe a top funnel point as three KPIs you can start out with. No one's ever going to stop counting clicks or ad impressions, and I'm not saying you should do that either. But the reality is, uh, according to Google, the average conversion rate is around 2%, meaning of the people that click on ads, about 2% of them will ultimately buy your product. So that means if you're all you're doing is counting clicks and impressions, you're looking at the 98% of the looky-loos uh, who don't do anything. And that's not the best KPI. So while it's important information, it's not something that I would kind of, you know, rest my laurels on as a marketer to say, I want more clicks. What you want is more conversions. Excellent. Well, thank you for breaking that down. I think that the one KPI that I wanted you maybe before we sign off to weigh in on that I believe sort of sums this up in a, in a, in a good way. Um, there's actually two KPIs here that work together and one's on the front end and one is post-sale. And these two KPIs are ROAS and the net promoter score. And you really see in terms of the latter, that net promoter score coming from uh, larger enterprises that know it's important to measure it and things that take a longer sales cycle, business to business uh, offers and things like that. But almost baked into that net promoter score is their opinion of the brand and the experience. And they might've had a hundred touch points until they finally became a customer. Great. They now have achieved the most important conversion point, And now the brand and the business is going to ask them how likely they are to recommend that product or service to someone else. And I think that's a great way to summarize uh, the uh, totality of the experiences that people have with the marketing programs and advertising programs as they go through that funnel. And so talk us through those two KPIs about how ROAS can drive uh, that uh, funnel to get more people into the bottom and why paying attention to that helps people get there along that shortest, most optimized journey focused on them. And then how net promoter score is a good way to sort of grade your homework and see how you're doing after they've gotten to that conversion point and became a customer. Walk us through that. You know, the ROAS calculation or return on ad spend is truly the holy grail for any marketer. It basically says if you spend, say, $20,000 on marketing, how much revenue is attributed to that spend? Maybe it's $40,000, which means you got a 2x uh, multiple on your ad spend. And so it's, it's a really nice metric to use because by, by normalizing the, these equations on dollars and cents, you kind of take out the fact that you might spend twice as much money on one channel, advertising channel versus another. You normalize it against revenue. It all kind of, kind of works out. 
So ROAS is exactly what you need to know as a, as a primary uh, KPI to see how you want to invest other dollars if you get them. So if you're getting a 2x return, it's pretty straightforward to go to your management and say, hey, we're getting 2x return. Why don't we put some more cash at this? I know how to spend it well, and we can get, uh, get another two times revenue out. Uh, more importantly is you can find out where the wasted ad spend is. Any channel that you're investing in that's not returning at least one time its money may be a candidate for, for replacing. You might want to look at that channel and say, hey, based on this KPI that we're getting less than 1, 1x on our ROAS, we might want to consider taking the money out of this channel and putting it someplace else. you got to be cautious with that, of course, because some channels just take longer to convert. If you've got, say, uh, you're running TV spots, branded TV spots, those you know are just kind of introducing your brand and your attitude and what your elements are. That may be the first touch point that you have in a consumer's buying process that takes several months. So you know you want to evaluate that that touch point over a several month time period to see if it's really paying off. Don't make a snap decision based on your KPIs of ROAS by looking at a channel prematurely. Uh, my point is you want to look at it in the context of what your buyer's uh, timing cycle is. But yeah, ROAS is, a, is in fact the holy grail for attribution and for most marketers these days, and and that's how people are evaluated. The Net Promoter Score, or NPS, is a, is a wonderful metric, and most companies are now employing it in some way. To me, I think of that as much broader than just marketing. Marketing's an element, but so is your customer support team, your sales team, um, your shipping department, your suppliers. Uh, everybody plays a role in making sure that that NPS number is as high as possible. The reason we get high NPS scores is because consumers just love doing business with you and your brand. It's not any one aspect. It's all of that together. That's the notion, at least, is to capture sort of the, the heart of doing business with your company. So it's absolutely critically important to all constituents to understand this particular KPI and how it plays out. But I'm not always convinced it's directly related to marketing. Now, you can have a survey that talks about, you know, how was the buying process? Would you recommend this buying process to a friend of yours? And kind of ask, ask the same questions. Whether you can get the consumer to kind of think that way or not, I, I don't know. I think it's a stretch. I think they're always going to be thinking of the bigger picture on how they respond to that question. But those two metrics are, are really good ones, Lucas. So thank you for bringing them up. Well, thanks, AJ. That was a great breakdown of those last two KPIs. And I think that's a great place to sign off on this podcast. In summary, we want to make sure, marketers want to make sure we keep those customers at the center of everything you do. And if you take that mentality, your customers are going to have a shorter, faster time to conversion, and they're going to be happier along the way. Happy customers are going to lead to repeat buyers and brand loyalty, something that you really can't achieve with short-term uh, transaction-driven marketing that doesn't build those relationships. And if you keep your eye on two important KPIs, return on ad spend and net promoter score, you'll have a good idea about how this methodology is working well for you and your customers. If you have any questions about this content or would like a transcript, please check the links below or on YouTube or wherever you are consuming this, and we will be sure to get back to any comments that you guys leave. Thanks again, AJ, for spending time with us. And we are signing off on the Attribution Marketing Podcast.